Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by our friends at YCharts. It's that time of year, Michael. Advisors are gearing up what for time? end of the year tax loss harvesting opportunities. I'll tell you what time it is. What's that? It's uh, it's heat in the house time. We'll get to that on the show. Keep continue. Okay. But YChart says clients don't uh, want to be informed of what steps they'll take to get them to their financial goals at the year end, right? That's where YChart steps in. They just released a comprehensive guide to saving advisors time and having more impactful client conversations surrounding tax efficiency investing, which, is, which makes sense, right? We've mentioned this before, but I think you could save someone $1,000 in their taxes or make them $100,000 in their portfolio, and they would prefer the $1,000 in taxes. People hate paying taxes. Well, I would disagree with that. I don't think it's quite that skewed. I'm just saying that the 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 response is bigger for a tax savings than it is for making some. Well, well, people would certainly rather save an equivalent amount in taxes than make in investing. That's for sure. All right, I'm just saying, tax people back me up here. They always say that if you save someone money on taxes or find a mistake, like that's a client for life, right? So with Y charts, you'll be able to optimize your strategy search, speed up your workflows, and more importantly, effectively communicate tax saving strategies to clients. Right? That's pretty good. So YCharts has this free guide on easier tax-efficient investing. Click on it in the link. And remember, as always, 20% off when you fi- sign up with YCharts for the first time with code ANIMALSPIRITS. Just tell them we sent you. Link in the show notes. Today's episode is brought to you by the College for Financial Planning. Ben, there's a great quote by Charlie Munger. I'm definitely going to butcher this. If economics isn't behavioral, what the hell is it? Is that close? It's pretty close. Okay. His other one I like is if you're if you're not confused, you're not paying attention in regards to the economy. That's good too. There was a uh, I don't th- I think we're going to discuss, discuss this today. Actually, BlackRock is launching target date ETFs. Investing's been figured out, right? Like whether whether you're a target date person or an active person or whatever person, the tools that investors need just from the like investing side, we've got it. The problem, of course, is. Coming up with the plan, sticking to a plan, getting scared, getting greedy, dealing with your emotions. It's Behavior huge, is the final frontier. Yeah, it's, it's a huge component of uh, the, the value that advisors add to their clients. So there's, there's uh, the College for Financial Planning, which is a Kaplan company, offers an accredited behavioral financial professional designation program that helps you understand what drives decision-making and how to talk to clients through the ups and the downs and the sideways and whether it's life and markets and all in between. So they, well, they, they sent us a study that said 40% of the value an advisor provides to a client is emotional. And I think for some clients, it's even higher than that. It, it's, there's obviously a spectrum there, but I totally subscribe to that theory. So the accredited behavioral financial professional designation is one of 11 designation programs that the College for Financial Planning offers to help gain specialized knowledge in a financial discipline. To learn more, hit the link in the show notes. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. I just want to brace the the listeners. This is, the, the doc is beefy today. Ah, you showed up. You showed up this week, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was two, two times. That's it. That you didn't show up. 
was a was I a literal no show? <laughs> no. I remember the one week we were. Uh, I do remember one week you busted my you busted my chops. I'm um, so I'm just saying you, you brought it this week. I guess I, I brought the heat and then some. All right. So anyway, so this this might be a long show. I wonder what the average length of the doc is. Thirty six pages. Thirty to forty range at least. Okay. Well, today it's forty three. Uh, I want to give a reminder to listeners and viewers, I guess, in the Charlotte area that we are going to be there. I'm going straight from Vegas from the Giants game, two and five. Could be three and five after the Jets. Could be four and five after the Raiders. We'll see. By the way, I have, thinking? I have some football takes. Uh, so I'm going straight from Vegas to Charlotte. We're going to be there from November 6th to November 8th. Of course, we're doing the live compound and friends, which is sold out. But if you're in the Charlotte area, whether you're a prospective client or an advisor that wants to talk to us, we've got the whole team coming or a lot of the team coming. Um, and if you're an advisor outside of Charlotte that wants to talk to us. I'm not making this one, but those are fun trips because it's we talk to advisors, we talk to prospective clients, we talk to current clients. It's a fun deal. And there's a bunch of people there. I wrote a quick post yesterday um, plugging the trip. And I mentioned that like we do a lot of content, obviously, and it, it helps our advisors start the conversation on second base. Everyone listening probably knows my background where I was cold calling, offering shitty products to people that definitely didn't want to talk to me, hence the $256 in 2010. But nobody, I say that to say that um, nobody's ever read a blog post, even one of Ben's phenomenal blog posts to be like, take my money. Wow, what a blog post. We have to demonstrate competence, expertise, empathy, listening, like solution-based uh, answers and all that sort of stuff. And our advisors uh, do that in spades. If someone did say, take all my money because I like your content, that would almost be a red flag. Easy come, easy go. Exactly. Uh, so, okay. Uh, and then I'm also going to plug a new email address. Animalspirits at thecompoundnews.com. I almost got it wrong. Animalspirits at thecompoundnews.com. Most people, most people follow the rules, not rules, Follow the the new link. So I appreciate that. We still had some stragglers in the old inbox. We're, we're monitoring both, but I'm saying with peace and love. At some point in time, we will stop monitoring. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a huge change. I've, I've probably had the same email since I was a freshman in high school, and I hate my email address. It's like a Yahoo one. All right. So Ben, I think this is a great look into human behavior, which we spoke about in the it's open. It's inertia. No, people hate change. Yes. And so true. if people if people are getting upset, now that they are, except for Nicole, about our the new change to our email address. Imagine how pissed off they get when they see gas prices fluctuating every single day and interest rates and prices. I think that that's a huge part I was going to mention this on the inflation category. I paid three, 308 last week, last weekend for gas. Super low, huh? I, I'm, I'm the one who always says there's conspiracy when oil prices go up, gas prices go up faster and oil prices go down, they go down slower. This time it's, did you see that? The thumbs up thing. Was that Duncan? It did it. No, it, I don't know. It did it again. Wait, what thumbs up? We oh, you missed this. It must have been on Ask the Compound. Like I did a thumbs up for some reason, and then there's a thumbs up emoji that pops up on Riverside. It just did it. Wow. Is that AI? Is that generative? It's weird. Okay, Ben, ben before we get to the to the real show, see, I told this to be long. We're already going eight minutes here. How long are we to be doing this for? And when I say this, like, how long are we going to be podcasting for? Are you thinking, are you asking me out of your own from, from you or did someone ask this to us? No, I'm just thinking. I've been doing a lot of introspection lately as I enter my middle age years. Well, uh, I've been I, thinking a lot about life. When I, when I first started my blog like 10 years ago, I assumed I would make it like six months maybe and I would run out of things to say. 
and then the writing process became part of my like learning and getting my jumbled thoughts out, and I just enjoyed the process, so I kept it going. And I, I never thought I'd be be writing a blog. I, I thought because there's there's a lot of people that were blogging back in the day that you and I know that like had great blogs, and they just kind of stopped. And you're like, oh yeah, that person used to have a blog, and I used to like that, and, and it they just kind of fizzle out. Yeah. But it's been become such part of my process that I, I enjoy doing it and it's helpful for me personally. And I think podcasting is the same way, that it's it's a really good way to, to take all these jumbled thoughts in your brain and try to put them out there. And I, I think it's very helpful. And we have like a great audience that provides great feedback. It's, it's a great learning. It forces us to keep learning and paying attention. So I didn't ask you if you enjoy podcasting. But no, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I like it too. So. My roundabout way is like I don't see any reason to to stop. Are you, are you ready to retire and call it quits? What's uh, what's going on here? Oh uh, no, I mean, no, I, I love every minute of this. Um, I feel very blessed to be able to do this. I'm just thinking. I'm just. I don't know. There's. I'm not. I'm not. There's not a leading question, but I'm just literally. We could be doing this in 15 years. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll be doing this in five years, probably 10 years, 20. Possible. Uh. Ask me again when I'm 50 in eight years, nine years. I can't remember how old I am. Sure. I, I think we got some time left in us, though. I'm not going anywhere. We're just hitting our stride. All right, Ben, I feel like I feel like higher for longer is sort of the consensus, and I feel like that happened over the last week. Um, we're going to talk about a lot about the quarter app today. I which said is just, that last week. I just said you? that last – yes. Sometimes I feel like you don't listen. No, it's – listen – Sometimes I subliminally steal See, your this, takes. This is going to be this is going to be the end of us. You, you're going to steal one too many takes from me, and I'm going to get up and I'm going <laughs> to slam my monitor, and I'm going to walk out, and you're never going to hear from me again. Well, guess what? Credit to you. You've got great takes. Last week you go, you go. Did we already have a soft landing? And I said yes. I said that four weeks ago. Well, I'm. I guess I'm just sitting on your shoulders. No, you're. That's you're all. Hey, you're. You're just. You're. I'm marinating. I'm incepting these takes into your brain, and you're. You're taking them <laughs> to the next level. Speaking of Inception uh, and Christopher Nolan, I rewatched The Prestige last night. I did that a couple Holy months ago. Holy moly. That's a great movie, right? Great, great movie. 2006, yeah. saw it in theaters. Uh, okay, so the quarter app, which is firing on every and all cylinder. It's just, it's incredible the progress that, we're, that they're making. Uh, we're going to talk about quarter later. And of course, you know, we've mentioned before that we're an investor, full disclosure. But they have this transcripts, they have this search tool. Um, and so I put in the term higher for longer and it searches all transcripts. And then it also will show you like where it was said in each transcript. It's really magical. And look at this, look at this increase in higher for longer. Now it makes sense because rates have been higher for a little bit of time, but I feel like last week after, after you apparently incepted it into the world's ethos, ethos is not the right word there, brains, uh, that it became consensus. But then, but then so do you agree with that part? Do you agree with what you said that higher for longer is becoming consensus? Yes, and I feel like these these sort of narrative things can stick and this yeah this its chart is pretty cool, yeah. But now on the other hand, <laughs> uh the fund manager survey that Bank of America takes, they show the percentage of respondents expecting lower long-term rates over the next 12 months. And that number is 56%, which is higher than it's been at any point by a long margin since 2003. So I can't really make the claim that consensus is higher for longer when 56% of fund managers are expecting yields to go lower, or is there, a, is there okay, companies might expect higher for longer, but investors expect rates to come down, or is this a, 
hey, f- all that. There is no consensus. You guys are making shit up. Anytime people say anything's consensus, it's just you say that to make your position feel better. To feel better about whatever your your view is, right? I think it's the this is the macro tourist. Consensus. No, 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 that's consensus. What are you talking about? That's consensus. How about this? If you have macro in your Twitter handle, this is the consensus for those people. I think it's it's consensus for anyone who is who is a macro person. That's and that's that's a great point. There's groups. Groups have consensus, yes. and then I don't know if that filters up to the whole. Here's the other thing, though. Well, just like with transitory, we never really defined it or we never defined soft landing. It's hard to define. How do you define higher for longer? Above right. 4% eh, for you know what you say three it. years? Like That's the thing. Like if, if people in the 1980s looked at us and we said, rates are going to be higher for longer, they'd say, wait, you think 5% is high? So yeah. how do you define higher? Higher than it was three years ago, yes. But yeah, I, I would say if it stays a, at 5% or higher for more than two years, that'd be higher for longer for me. And I don't. What about four and a half percent? Is that four and a quarter? That's my cutoff. <laughs> I don't know. All right, the S and P five hundred up ten or eleven percent this year, as of this morning. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. Uh, I've asked you this before, but we're right in the middle, and this is this is totally rate dependent. I would say, but more likely to finish the year up twenty percent total or flat. Up twenty. Possible. I, so you're you're seeing a rally. The, the, the crazy. I looked at this yesterday. The ten-year start of the year at three point nine percent. It went all the way to five, and the S and P is up eleven percent. I know that. Yeah. I know it was up twenty at one point, and it came in. That, I know. That's, that is. I know, still... but but you really have to do the the equal weight for for this year. You really do. Okay, here's a question for you. I looked at this yesterday because I posted this, and someone replied, "Well, it's seven stocks. Right. What percent? I looked this up on wine charts. What percentage okay, of companies right. in the S and P five hundred? are positive on the year, and what percentage are up 10% or more this year in the S&P? Okay, so what percentage are positive on the year? Yes. Uh, I'd say it's close to 50%. It's half, 45, yep. four, Okay, so 50%. Percentage of S&P companies up 10% or more this year? Uh, 20%. 33%. One third of companies are up yeah. 10% or more. Yeah. So that's not the majority, but that's not- Yeah, stocks, yeah, stocks are doing- there's, the, there's other large stocks cap that are doing stocks, okay. Large cap stocks are doing fine. Obviously, there's winners and losers. All right, I have a question. For Wait, you. hold on. Do you have, do you have any? Do you, do you want to weigh in? Uh, more likely to be flat or up twenty, or is that the Grand Rapids hedge? You're just going to ask a question, and not even answer it. <laughs> I was just going to ask and not answer. Okay, I, I still say twenty. Tw- I mean, if we're looking historical probabilities, twenty is more probable. If that, if that, if that's how you calculate probabilities, like twenty percent happens more often than flat. How about fifteen? Is that good? I don't know. So the Wall Street Journal had another 60-40 one. The trusted 60-40 investing strategy just had its worst year in generations. And they're talking about how it's the correlations are higher. You can see this. The correlation returns for S&P and treasury bond, long-term treasury bonds are at a two-decade high. Why do you think that there's so always so much emphasis put on the 60-40 portfolio and people trying to pour dirt on the grave? And to, why is, what is it about the 60-40 that, that the media loves latching onto so much? Uh, it's the benchmark, right? Like most of their readers have something similar to a 60, 40 portfolio. What else were they write about the 2080? So here's one over their 50 years of marriage. Dave and Kathy adopted a time honored wall street strategy to safeguard and grow their retirement nest egg, a mix of 60% us stocks and 40% bonds. Now it is failing them. There have been some days more recently where I've looked at my portfolio and gone, Oh crap. Dave said, uh, Though they added even more bonds to protect against losing their principles as they age, their holdings are still down 14% from the late 2020 highs. Higher rates are hurting prices of both bonds and stocks these days. 
Yeah, that 10% annual return of the last decade for 6040. I, I, I put this in here. The, the Vanguard balance portfolio over the 10 years through 2021 What's it was up 11% per year. I'm sorry. <laughs> the best 10 year performance like ever? That's you don't. I'm sorry. You don't it? get 11 percent per year without having a year where you're down 15 or 20 percent. That's the yeah. trade-off. Yeah. Sorry, I don't. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not gonna shed any tears for people who lost some money in a 60/40 after just experiencing a decade plus worth of amazing returns in that strategy. Yeah. Right. Um, here's another one though. Like the, the correlation thing to me. Having saying that bonds and stocks are more highly correlated. Look at this. I can't remember if I put this in here before or not, but I looked at the percentage of years stocks and bonds rise together. And I did it by decade and then by total. In over the last 100 years or so, the stock market and the bond market, and this is, uh, I use five-year treasuries in the S&P, two-thirds of the time they rise together. Because guess what? Most of the time, bonds are rising. Remember, yeah. you know the number about like, so like the fact that they have strong correlation sometimes, sometimes that's a good thing. You want that. You don't want negative correlation all the time. Like you don't want something to go up and something to go down. That's not the way you want your portfolio. Most of the time, you want them going up together. Yeah. Right? And I get it, the fact that bonds didn't protect last year, but I don't know. That's, it, sometimes they should be highly courted. I, 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 also, I also think, I mean, I think risky adjusted returns are, this might be kicking a hornet's nest. Not, not bullshit, because I think it's a, I think risk adjusted returns can be a good way to try to measure manager skill. I've always right? been anti-risk adjusted returns. Okay. So, no, no, no. But my point is like, let's just say that you're a large cap growth manager and you're like, well, I, I, I beat the S&P 500 for the last 10 years. Right. And it's like, well, okay, but you're the you know, large cap growth, the category beat the S&P 500 compare right. me to your, to your category. Okay. And it's like, well, I beat large cap growth by 150 basis points a year for the last 10 years. Okay, great. But is that because you owned NVIDIA and the highest beta names? So like for people that are doing that, to it's like, no, 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 it's not just NVIDIA. Like, look at my risk adjustment. I'm not necessarily taking more risk and I've still beat the benchmark. That part of it, that part of risk adjusted returns to me is not completely useless. I, I understand it from that point of view, but from the point of view of selling risk adjusted returns to an individual investor, I don't even forget about the, you can't even risk adjusted returns, which is obviously accurate. It's, it's not as if people are looking at their returns every single day. Right. Right. So you could be like, well, this portfolio had, you know, 10% better risk adjusted returns. And so therefore it's a smoother ride. But is it really like, first of all, people shouldn't be looking at their portfolio every day. But let's say that the the S&P, the, the, whatever you're comparing yourself to was down 40 basis points. And like you're down like 32. Does that small, tiny risk adjusted return increase, incremental increase, does that compound and make you feel better over time? Right. And, pe and people only tend to look when things are going really, really well or really, really bad. Right, most of the time, other yeah, you 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 don't look, or you shouldn't look. That's yeah, so I'm point. not saying it's it's completely useless and nonsensical, but I feel like it's probably given too much credence, more credence than it deserves. Uh, they they also had the the old quote from Bog, from Bogle saying, "I spend half my time." He has a he had a fifty fifty portfolio. He said, "I spend half my time wondering why I have so much in stocks, and half my time wondering why I have so little." Which it's a great quote. I I love it. Okay. Now now you can you can you can say that over the last eighteen months. Everything that I thought that I knew about the way the 60-40 portfolio work broke down. That's a fair statement. Yes. Right? The fact that rising interest rates killed bonds and then also were the same thing that killed stocks, you can say, shit, I didn't think that was going to happen. Right? It did happen. But to, to now say, well, 
Now over the last three years, correlations are positive, so it's actually a bad thing. It's like, come on. We're actually we're we're finally at a point where the 60-40 portfolio makes more sense today than it did 15 years ago. Now, of course, 15 years ago, you could have never known that the S&P would do 14% a year, and it's definitely not going to do that again this year. But at least you're not re- you're not fully reliant on the S&P to deliver decent returns, which is wonderful. One of the things I've been saying for the past five years or so as rates have as rates came down and kept getting to generationally low levels is you just you probably have to be more thoughtful about your fixed income allocation. And some 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 mix, it, it can't just be as simple as I'm going to do whatever and my fixed income returns will be fine. I think you have to be a little more thoughtful about it and have a little more mixture in that bucket. Uh, all right, Annie Lowry wrote a piece of the Atlantic called The Annoyance Economy, and she's getting to the vibes thing that we've talked about a lot here. But she, her thing is she went through everything, inflation and rates and all these things we've been talking about, but she, she's pinning a little blame on the media. So she says, when I looked at the top homepage uh, one recent Friday of different news sites, I saw three headlines about employment numbers. U.S. job growth surges past expectations and troubling news for the Fed. The jobs report may hamper the Federal Reserve's efforts to cool the economy and wrangle inflation, and interest rates are jumping on Wall Street. What will they do to the housing and the economy? Meanwhile, at the Wall Street Journal, markets are jittery. Here's why the strong jobs report may not help. And she said each of these stories was a good story with a lot of nuance, but the overall message was this is bad, not wow, what a labor market. And I, I do think a lot of it is like recency bias and, and that sort of thing. But we got a comment on YouTube last week saying, why aren't you guys ever bearish? Which I don't I don't really agree with. We've excuse me? Yeah. We've and you you get paper bearish like I feel like I'm I'm always I'm like mentally always I mean I don't project bearishness because I, I invest like an optimist, but I definitely worry like a pessimist. I always lean glasses half full, and I've said that before. I have a positive outlook. And I think that that's like the right way to, we talk about this. The stock market is up three out of every four years on average. The economy is expanding 85% of the time, 15% of the time it's in a recession. So I think that's like the right posture to have if you're going to have one. But I I also think like my whole ethos of investing is the stock market usually goes up, but sometimes it goes down. And I don't think it's helpful for the people that are just literally bearish all the time. You see the, the cartoon I put in here about the, it's my favorite financial media cartoon about the guys yeah. screaming we're all going to die. It's great. And I'm listen, I'm not saying that this is like the media's fault either because we know a lot of financial reporters who do wonderful work, right? I think it's a lot of times the people who wade into like finance takes who aren't in finance that do it. But I just think that there's so much doom and gloom and bearishness always and forever now, especially since 2008 and the pandemic, that I, what we try to do is refute it and, and use data and clear thinking. And if there's bad news, we're going to talk about it but we're not going to say sell everything and we're not going to build your bunker. You. And yes, we're not going to use scare tactics. And I'm not, I'm, I'm never going to do that. I definitely get bearish, but I feel like I take the responsibility uh, to the listeners seriously. And it would be very, very, very easy to frighten people and grow a bigger audience. I think we have no interest in that. We have right. no interest in that. And that, that, that is how you build an audience these days. Unfortunately, is you use negativity and scare tactics to get people to agree with you. And we're definitely not like wildly irresponsibly bullish. Like that's not our thing either. We've been talking about uh, a recession for 18 months here. Like yeah, the come past, on. Will they, won't they kind of thing. So I, I think that at the heart of this, like what the f*** is going on with with the disconnect between the hard data and the soft data? I think there's a lot There's a lot going on. Um, I was actually thinking about this at, at the Giants game of the weekend, which I'll get back to in a second. But I think social media is at the heart of, is at the center of this for, in so many different ways. Number one, it is 
just virality. It's all about going viral. And the way you go viral is to dunk on other people, to make other people look bad. Look how, look what an idiot that group is making us feel smarter. And then, so it's social media doing that. Um, and then it's the media competing with social media, right? The media wants your attention for, for the media wants your eyeballs. And so the way that they do that to compete with social media is write more and more ridiculous, ridiculous headlines where the truth will be buried in the ninth paragraph. For example, there was an article when we're going to talk about this, uh, about like 60 day delinquency for subprime auto borrowers. Yes. I saw this. A lot of people were going crazy about that one. And then buried in the ninth paragraph is like, but it's still below 2019 levels or something, something like that. It's like, well, you should leave with that. Like, <laughs> so anyway, uh, the other part of it is, um, outrage is a business these days. Yeah. So anyway, and then, and then there's definitely, listen, there, there is the inflation component, like the pandemic component, breaking a lot of people's behavior. So when I was at, it's funny. Cause I actually, I, I think the pandemic actually made it more mainstream just to complain about everything. I think complaining now is like, and just distrust that, is at an all time high. Yeah, in all it's, of it's our a way that people like come together is like through complaints. Yeah, totally. So I was, so I actually had this in the doc last week. I just forgot to, I just forgot to get to this. Uh, I saw a video. I don't know if it's San Francisco, wherever it was about a fight in, in the NFL stands. And I was thinking like, what the hell happened to NFL games where it just became a thing? Like, do people go there with the intention of like, I'm going to, I'm going to get into it with somebody with a stranger today. I'm going to get into it with the opposing team. So it is I, bizarre. Uh, it's just bizarre. I was in, I've so never, my I've friend, never understood the fighting thing. Like the, the amount of stuff that can go bad versus the amount of stuff that can go good. Look, I don't, I don't see the, the upside in fighting. I was, I was in the second row behind the end zone. It's my friend's tickets that he's had for like, his dad's had for like 50 years or something. And uh side note, live events are great, but it is impossible very difficult, at least from the seats that I was in, to follow the flow of the game. It's like Saquon got hurt. I wasn't really sure what was happening. You can't really tell where the lines are. It's just, it's such a better experience at home watching football. Isn't it though? Like, it's so, it's yeah, so much it better is. to follow the game. So anyway, there was people in my, in my stands that were getting into it, almost close to throwing fists to cuffs. And I was just thinking about this on the, on the walk out. Like, what happened? When did, when did this happen? Is this a post, I know there's always fights, but is this a post-pandemic thing where it's, 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 yeah. Ubiquitous. There's, there's just a lot more anger. Yeah. I don't know. And so, so, but, but I think that, but that's the same with like flights on the airplane. It's just something is wrong. Something is very, very wrong, even though things are like objectively pretty decent, at least just quantitatively. Yeah. But you can't discount how people feel. You could, right. you could like yes. point, you could, you could get to the root of it, but people feel how they feel. People are pissed off. Yes. And I, 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 does get down to something of like, I'm fine, but everyone else is in a shitty position. I think, I think that's part of it too. So I, I sent this to you. I, the, the story last week came out, the federal reserve does a survey of consumer finances and they do this every three years and they look at the well being of households on a number of different perspectives. So I dove into this big time and it's, a, there was a 37% jump from 2019 to 2022. And these are inflation adjusted median numbers. Say that one more time. So inflation adjusted and median numbers. So I did I did median, not average. Median means middle. If you've never taken a stat class, median is the middle number. And net worth. And net worth is not not income. So it's if me, you, and Bill Gates are on a room, the average net worth is billions of dollars. The median net worth is not. Right? So we got that out of the way. So I did a post about this. And again, 37%. I looked at it. So I, I dug I dug through all these numbers. A 37% kind of change. So a 37% change in three years in net worth, which 
it's crazy. We talked about 2020, this is through 2022, which was the worst year ever, one of the worst years ever for a stock and bond portfolio. And net worth was still up 37%. And so I looked at it, and it was by far the greatest three-year change in net worth. And they, they've done this going back to 1989. The previous one was through 2007, it was an 18% change. And actually through 2019, it was 18% as well. And I put this out on Twitter. I wrote a blog post about it. And I told you, look through the replies. Yeah, Because I, sometimes rough. I think you don't believe me about the doomers. And, and these people were out like savages coming to get me, saying, well, it's only the top 1%. And I said, no, these are median numbers. And then they said, well... It's all inflation. And I said, no, these are inflation. So I went, I actually, usually I don't, I, I usually just block those people because I don't want them in my life. But this time I actually engaged and I, I just said the answer. This is median. This is inflation adjusted. People don't want to believe that this was an unequivocally great report. And people said, well, it's all, it's all housing prices. And I thought it was too, until you realize renters experienced a bigger gain in net worth than homeowners. Renter, renters saw their net worth increase by 43% versus homeowners were 34%. Which there's still a way bigger net worth for homeowners, but still that was surprising as well. Household debt grew less than four percent, while net worth grew thirty-seven percent. Like, I just these numbers to me is like unbelievably good considering what we've been through. Really high inflation, the pandemic, and you can put all the caveats you want on it. I just think it's okay to say like, gosh, considering everything we went through, the fact that we saw the one of the biggest increases in net worth for households ever is kind of something to celebrate. And like, that's amazing. I agree. I think one of the reasons why people attacked you is because they, they're they putting thoughts in your mouth. Like, oh, so everything's fine, Ben? Yeah, that, that's the thing. People want to read yeah. into what you're saying yeah. instead of just right. saying, these are the facts. Right. Like, these are so, the actual facts. Well, here's, here's another fact. I don't think people's happiness uh, is really correlated kind of at all to net worth. Now I do believe, and that was that was the best rebuttal that people said is like, well, money's not everything, and I, I no, 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 money is important. I think people are concerned about their real income, absolutely, but I think your net worth doesn't really impact how you think about your financial situation. Yes, it's not like Even oh, well, it, I've got it should. Well, eh, I guess, but if somebody's like, well, I've got seventy thousand dollars in this IRA, it was only forty-seven last year. It's like. Yeah, but like things are still kind of shitty. Yeah. You know, and That's like, fair. yeah, I have more money because my student my student loans were on hold, but they're coming back and like things are still kind of not great. Now, I'm definitely not saying everything's not great. And I know you're not saying everything's not great either. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I was just saying, I don't think everything's bad. I don't think everything's good. I think the volatility of prices and perceived economic stability is, is just yes. not great. Maybe that's what we've learned. Economic volatility... People do not like that at all. No, no. But but again, no, no one was really happy in the 2010s either. I'm, I'm not saying like, listen, idiots, you should all be happy. It's just like, I'm saying there's more nuance than everything is awful right now. I and also think, and I know we're, we are repeating ourselves because <laughs> we talk about this all the time. I think asking people how they feel, like just yield some really wild results. I think yes, people can, true. people can live their life, go about their business and be as unhappy or as happy as people were in the 70s or the 50s, generally speaking. People are people, and the environment around us is always changing. But I think surveys are just skewed to show you that everything's really bad. I Yes, I agree with that. And I, right? I when, when you, Like when you, when you go out to, I don't know, the pumpkin patch or whatever, like do you, is everybody like walking around like all grumpy and shit? And like, no. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think this, this stuff, these surveys are ever going to get better. Now that the internet's with us, I think there's going to be a line of demarcation in the future where they go, why did everyone say they were so unhappy after the 1990s? And it's like, oh, 
Okay, the internet, social media. I think that's, it's, 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 it's online people. If you ask your friends that are, that don't spend time on social media, like, how, you know, how do you think things are going? They'd be like, do you, do you think it would be like unanimously, not unanimously, majority would be like, kind of shitty actually. Yeah, most of them would be like, I'm, I'm fine. Yes, fine. depending on their situation, obviously. Nick also did a, did a post on this. He showed the real median net worth by year. And yeah, again, it's at an all-time high. Uh, real median net worth for by year for households under 35 rocket up to all-time highs. But I just, I don't think real net worth really matters yeah. to but how people feel. That's another surprising don't. one though, that I think the the increase for under 35 was like 140 something percent on a real basis. Again, inflation adjusted, Amazing. median numbers. But the people were saying to me like, oh great, it's coming off of a low base. So it's like, you can't win. But I think that's that's amazing. Young people saw a huge, and these are young people who, for the most part, probably many of them didn't own houses and, and didn't get that tailwind. So, yeah. And I also think that people are just bracing for impact, yes. right? I've, a lot of people might feel like a recession is coming. Yes. Everyone's so for been example, in this position for like 18 yeah, months. Like just yeah. Waiting. So, so Matthew Miskin tweeted, make that 15 months of negative year over year readings for the conference board leading economic indicators, the longest stretch of year over year negative readings before a recession was 17 months from August of six to January 2008. So we're getting there. And then the pandemic broke economic data. I'm still, I'm still, it did. It did. It did. Uh, Here's an email that we got. Peace delegates here attacked by U S activists on Russian policies, electricity bills due to rise. The white house urges delay on Russian trade food ferry to Egyptians, oil curb spread worries. Europe Israelis see ceasefire only after Palestinian defeat jets flown by North Koreans are reported in clash with Israelis over mid East bank funds and Saudi cut oil out. Saudis cut oil output to 10%. Value of dollar change, arms aids to Israel may cost 14 billion, 50 million bushels of oats listed as disaster reserve. You get the point. I mean, it's, I'm almost done, Yeah. but I'm like, enough. Like, like, is this really all happening? Like it's too much. And then the kicker is this is a a New York times headline from the week of October, 1973. Oh, I love these kind of things. That's great. Whoever sent this, it it, it, it hurt to read this. I was like, dude, it's enough. Like, stop. Um, so, so the, I don't think his point was like, everything's fine or, you know, ignore all the horrible things that are going around in the world. This is the world. Yes. Unfortunately, this, yes, this is the world. Uh, here's, here's some good news about higher rates though. So I, I looked at this, the last week I looked at this and it was 8% mortgage rates and 4.9% treasury yields. Here's my- Are you about to spend 8, 8% mortgage rates into a, into a positive? You might want to take a beat. Here's my Ben positive spin for the next downturn. That I feel like a lot of people are are people always say the Fed is pushing on a string. Monetary policy is going to be very effective for the next downturn. Monetary policy. So for for a while there, because why though? Why though? Because rates were at a zero bound. Monetary policy was not doing much at all, and now that rates are higher, when the Fed lowers rates, if mortgage rates go from eight to five, true, and and there's going to be a huge amount of activity in the housing market. Like if that's what I'm saying, if, if the fed does raise rates, if we get a downturn and they, and they go from 5% to three or whatever, and mortgage rates go from eight to five, I think that monetary policy is going to be very effective. Well, there, there's two economies. There's those that are affected by interest rates and those that aren't. And the average effective debt for the S P 500 is under 4%, which is kind of wild. We've spoken about this a lot, right? About how much debt is long-term fixed, but there are, this is from Torsten Slack. There are 33 million small businesses. You know how much it costs them to borrow money? 10%. 10%. Maybe the next recession is when you go hand over fist into small caps because the large caps have benefited because they locked in low rates and they did fine throughout this whole period of rising rates. And the next period is going to be better for consumers and small caps. How's that? 
Should there be higher penalties for people that get into fights at football games? Like, what do we do about this? <laughs> Ban them for life? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. This, this kind of affected you, didn't it? it I, I do agree. It's, I took my daughter to a Michigan game uh, like a month ago, her first time ever at the big house, and just swarms and swarms. You know, there's 110,000 people or whatever. And I, it certainly was on my mind, like, is my daughter going to see some crazy stuff here? And luckily nothing happened and it was a good game and it was fun, but, but, but I, I didn't think about that. why is it football games? Like, it's not like, and by the way, they cut off beer at halftime. So I, I, I'm going to the Nick game on Wednesday. I'm sure I won't see a fight there. I've never seen a fight at the Garden. That's actually kind of surprising. Yeah, that, is it, is it because is just people, more testosterone. I don't know. Well, people tailgating. Yeah. So more drunk people. True. All right. So I mentioned the monetary policy thing. I'll skip this uh, inflation. Uh, Scanna Amarnath wrote, uh, as heretical as it might be to say, there's a growing risk that the Fed rate hikes risk stoking higher rent inflation in 2025, 2026, and 2027. How? The Fed's actions are currently reducing building permits for multifamily rental supply, exasperate structural housing shortage. So... We had the biggest build ever, I think, for for apartments, multifamily, that sort of stuff, because and to meet demand. And that's one of the reasons rents have been falling lately. And now with you know ten percent construction loans or whatever, twelve percent construction loans, those are falling precipitously. So it is there's going to be some unintended consequences of this period, where I think the housing market's going to be even more broken in the future than it is now potentially. I'm just preparing people for that. Great. Oh, wait, do I see another DoorDash in here? <laughs> I said I wasn't going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Hit me with it. All right. Here's uh, wait, Indian. Wait, you, whoever sent us the Grubhub thing for Amazon Prime, I've been using that. Why aren't you using it anymore? Use the Grubhub. It's the Grubhub Prime. Or I signed up for it. Okay, you gave I, us I, the link. All right. What are you doing? <laughs> so I, Robin was out. This is your own fault. I wanted to get Indian food. Here's what I was getting. One of the chicken dishes, it could have been chicken butter or butter chicken, or it could have been chicken tikka masala. I don't even know what chicken it was, but it was chicken that I wanted. And I also got uh, naan. So it was $30, which is like, I don't know. I guess it's what food costs now. Seems kind of expensive to me, but fine. It's good food. The delivery fee, $450. And I thought that I had free DoorDash because my Chase card, but whatever. Delivery fee, $450. Fees and estimated taxes seven dollars. Tip five fifty. Total forty seven dollars. Yeah, f-ing right. Forty seven dollars for in- for takeout Indian food. Your fault. Why aren't you using the Grubhub Plus that someone gave us? I'm saving money on that every time I do it. Now, mind you, I did not. I did not order this. There was no way in the oh you stopped world. yourself. Absolutely not. Forty seven dollars for takeout Indian food. That is pretty, that is pretty nuts for one person, for one person. That's crazy. All right. Someone sent me this, uh, piece, uh, from slate, John Hussman. I I would be remiss not to tell you that the stock market will probably crash. Henry Blodgett wrote this piece. John Hussman thinks there's a good chance the stock market will crash soon, 40 to 50%. And even if the market doesn't crash, Hussman thinks stocks are priced to produce returns of only a couple percentage points per year over the next decade, far below the 7% inflation-adjusted long-term returns that everyone is used to in the double-digit returns of the last few years. This is the, this is the coup de grace from, from Blodgett. If you want to feel comfortable and happy, go ahead and ridicule John Hussman with everyone else. If you want to prepare yourself for what seems like a possible stock market future, however, read on. That's him, that's him writing? Henry Blodgett writing. Henry Blodgett. Oh, really, Henry Blodgett? <sighs> 
Give me a fucking break. I, re- I, was in, I was in the airport on my honeymoon in 2013 reading this nonsense. Yes, I didn't. This is the punchline that this Remember is. Remember when Henry 19- Blodgett stopped reinvesting his dividends? Ooh, what a courageous call. No, but that's the thing. For the listener, this is this was written in 2013. I'm taking the bait. I'm taking I'm taking the bait. Shame on me. The S and P 500 is up almost 12 percent per year since this was written. I just I, I just want to point this kind of stuff out when you. Oh hear wait a minute! Wait a minute! To call this, for a crash. this post is from 2018, 2013. Yes. So this it's been Uh-oh. 10 years. So he said <laughs> in 10 years you're going to see a couple percentage points. This was written in 2013. Someone sent this uh, to me. Oh, oh, oh. And I thought it was a reflection. Like, okay. As like a reflection, like, hey, it's been 10 years since he wrote this. And so he was saying the Dow was going to crash from 15,000 to 7,500. The Dow is now at, what, 30,000 something? So like you would have to crash 50% from here and then 50% from there just to get to the original crash call. What do you say to somebody that listened to you 10 years ago uh, about this crash call? I'm sorry. (sighs) Well, I, I, I hope you didn't listen to me. I think there's confirmation bias and people just continue to want to hear it. I, I, I don't know. I just want to point that out. When you hear someone say this, like, think it, this is the kind of stuff people are always saying. The 2008 crash is going to look like child's play compared to the next one. Right? It, it, this is the stuff why we're Bad not, like, things happen. Yes. Bad things Bad happen things, in, the, in the world and in the stock market. And that's why risk assets pay you to bear that risk. It's very simple. Yes, but... And, you're, and, paid, you're paid to... to, to and the, time, the times the bad stuff does happen... The, the people shouting about it are not going to be the ones who help you out. Okay. Ben, are you a buyer of uh, target date ETFs? Uh, 529 plans for my kids. I'm in target date funds. Yes. Uh, there's a target date ETF. So BlackRock is launching them. It says that they, they, they did. Cause I was thinking, I feel like they had these already. They did in 2014. They launched oh, okay. them. They you never- mentioned that before. And I thought like, why is he talking about this? I never, I didn't think about it, but there are no target date fund ETFs. Are there? Well, so ta- BlackRock launched one in 2014. Never took. But they just launched one again. I don't, I I don't see target date ETFs gaining popularity. I don't either because it's it's mostly a four hundred one k four hundred three b kind of thing. That's where they make sense. That's where they probably belong. I'm not saying they don't. They can't make sense in an ETF. I just think people are prone to invest that way in a retirement account, not a brokerage account. Okay, what's the? Uh, all right, here? this is interesting. Biggest outflow from money market funds on record last week. I bet it's all, I going into, the, all going into bonds. All going, yeah, I, I wonder if this is like skewed by like a gigantic sovereign wealth fund or. No, but don't don't you think it makes sense now if bond yields are matching money market yields that you can lock it in for longer that money would go out of money markets and that's cash on the sidelines for bonds. I think that makes sense. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I think I think that absolutely. Here's another one. More likely, four percent rates, six percent rates. On what the Fed funds? Ten year. Uh, we, we you've been you've been talking about how we missed the bond yield rise and saying like once they hit three percent people are going to buy. Doesn't five percent kind of feel like a kind of a line in the sand? I can't I can't say that. I would say four over six, but I've been wrong about this for who knows how long. I would say four over six too. I kind of I don't shudder to think about either situation. Right, like what would have to happen for either of those things to transpire? Huh, that's a good question. The economy here's, would here's have a to be really, here's a really strong to get to six. Would you rather see rates at four or six? I think four would make people a lot happier if it if it happened because of falling inflation. I think that's that's the better scenario. Well, but what if it happens because the economy is slowing? 
Would you rather 4% because the economy is slowing and we're in a recession or 6% because the economy just won't, won't stop growing? Six. Give me six every day. If the economy is still remaining, if the economy is strong enough to push us up to 6% rates and people are making more money, sign me up for that. I think so too. I, th- I think so too, but I don't know. I, so last week I talked about the efficient market hypothesis of Bitcoin. Like why doesn't it just stay at 30 or whatever? Because we know the ETF's coming. So maybe Bitcoin did continue to price an ETF. So in the last month, Bitcoin has gone from 26 to 35. I think it hit 35 overnight. Yeah. I don't know what's that right now. It's up 110% this year. Just a just a wild, crazy asset. Just saying, one of my predictions for 2023 was Bitcoin going up 100%. Seemed pretty ridiculous at the time. Did you really? Yeah. That was one of your like 10 surprise predictions. What are, what are, you, what are you quoting? <laughs> Let me allow myself to quote myself. What did I say? Now, I'm sure I got a ton wrong in here, obviously, but... All right, crypto doubles in 2023. It's hard to make the bold case for an asset class that feels like it's come. it comes with career risk. With all the negativity surrounding the space right now, I'm amazed that Bitcoin isn't below 10,000. And maybe that's what the bulls can hang their hat on. Bulls will say that we've been here before. Look at the drawdown chart. Yeah, prices have seen these types of decline before. But in every other decline, crypto is just a fringe asset. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but... Okay, all right. You That was a good prediction. Read us one of your terrible predictions. Okay, let's see. Um... Oh, the market avoids a recession and stocks gain double digits. Pretty good. Looking, looking pretty good. What was bad? Um, the housing market doesn't crash. Check. Gold makes a new all-time high. Getting close there. All right. Oh, IPM market remains frozen. That was pretty easy to say. Um, oh, here's, here's my bad call. Okay. Value outperforms growth again. There we okay. go. Yep. That's a horrible, uh, not even close. Uh, you know, it's another one that I'm glad didn't pan out. Tech continues its layoffs. Not really true. Ah, that is true. And that's a, that's that, that's actually such a great reminder of what we spoke about earlier in the show. When when layoffs were happening, that's all that was being reported on. Right, I understand, rightfully so. You're going to report on Salesforce and Meta layoffs, of course. Why wouldn't you? Right. But there's no reports when there's no layoffs. Yeah, so there's no headline there, thing. There's no, no like, laid off today. There's no headline. Thing. Oh, remember all those layoffs? Well, that's not. That's probably a good thing, right? Google, Google just hired another 3,000 people this week. No one talks about that. I didn't hear about it. All right. No, I, I'm, I made that up. Oh, great chart from Goldman uh, showing the distribution of rates on outstanding mortgages. And there's so many mortgages. Actually, the highest bar is like under 3%. Looks like almost 15% of mortgages are at like the two and seven eighths level, would you say? Is that about what I'm looking at? I'm sure there's a a future value you could do with interest rates and stuff. But like, how much would you say your 3% mortgage rate is worth to you as a financial asset? Everything. It's worth so much money, right? If you tried to like f- do the math behind how much is worth to you versus having a eight percent mortgage right now, if I was in the if I was in the market for a house right now, I'd be very very uh, upset. stressed out. Yeah. Stressed out is the right word. Uh, all right, so so uh, mortgage purchase applications index is at the lowest level since 1995. Uh, housing market is effectively frozen. The home builders were able to like subsidize a lot of these, you know, give give buyers a lot of points. But with rates at eight percent, I don't think they can do it anymore. Chen Zhao is the economics research lead at uh, Redfin. Estimated that total existing home sales in twenty twenty three would be four point one million, which marked the smallest number of sales since about two thousand eight. It is crazy that we're back to like housing crash levels, without a housing crash. Look at this chart from the Wall Street Journal, showing the amount of homes that are sold and the median median price. Now the median price is still 
basically this is, near this is like one of those things pre-pandemic you t- you tell someone the number of sales are back to 2008 levels housing prices are at all-time highs what made that happen i don't think you could you could come up with an explanation like what would what would cause this to happen right. without knowing what happened you, you're so right there's no way that you could be like interest rates skyrocketed and, and and made people trapped in their homes you would never come up with that conclusion but when you lay it out like that it makes sense it makes total sense you people can't afford to move there's no supply there's still buyers prices are still high so on the odd lots they had the guy from morgan stanley that's jim egan something egan and he talked about this last time but it's worth repeating uh he said for years 25 percent of homes in the u.s are owned by people over 65 now it's up to 33 percent and a lot of those owners own their house free and clear with no mortgage, no import yeah, where are they to going? sell. So even if we see a recession and a rise in layoffs, there's a large swath of the housing stock that won't be affected by macroeconomic conditions. The boomers are like, insul- in a lot of ways, they're insulated from a lot of the economy. That's why they're spending and why they're they're not impacting the housing market, right? They're they're like, boomers are in a pretty darn good position. They have, they can earn interest and yield on their savings now. Boomers are in a good place. There was a ton of hullabaloo about the median, about what somebody must earn to buy a house. Yes. The number one, it says Bloomberg reported buyers must earn a whopping, they use the term whopping, that's their words, not mine, a whopping $114,000 a year to afford a typical US home. Well, Matt Klein, average household of America, of income of an American in the 35 to 44 age bracket was 170K last year. Which is shocking to me. Someone and I looked at the comments. Someone said, "Okay, what's median?" Because that's what you do on Twitter. Yeah, what's the median? And he, he said median's a hundred, so it's pretty close. So he's saying the group that is in their home buying years, thirty-five to forty-four, is pretty close to what you need to buy a typical U.S. home. Yeah, it's not like it's you can't c- compare it to the total. That's pretty good. All right, the Wall Street Journal had another one on rent versus buy, saying there's never been a better time to rent and a worse time to buy. It's the premium discount of buying a home versus renting. It goes back to 1996 from CBRE. And here's my question. What causes this to mean revert? Because a lot of people say, I mean, the housing prices have to crash to call it. Like a lot of the the uh, the landlords have locked in 3% mor- mortgages too. So they can actually afford to charge cheaper rent. Like rents don't have to. And the reason, again, I said rents are rising because they're building more apartments and more multifamily housing as opposed to single-family housing, but I don't see what causes this to change. If you're a landlord sitting on a 3% mortgage too, your costs are covered. You don't have to keep jacking up rents, even though you probably can a little. That's a good point. So what what causes this to mean revert? There's not like a, a, a catalyst that's going to make this happen. And should, should, you might've said this, shouldn't there be a premium for buying, for owning a house, for buying a house? I, I think there should be a little, uh, there shouldn't be this big of a premium, but- right. I think the fact that there was a discount after 2008 when the housing prices crashed, I think that was an aberration too. All right. Here's a quote from, from an attorney at the DOJ. There's no reason that home sellers should be forced to pay a buyer's agent. You're here. That is one of those things that's like, why do we do that? Because we've always done it like that. Yeah, because that's how it works. But don't you think that if uh, – I know a lot of people say like the, the 6% real estate realtor commission is criminal and we should take it out. Like, Don't you think that housing prices have kind of adjusted for that commission though? Like if, if, if it completely went away and everyone could just buy like for sale by owner, wouldn't housing prices adjust to account for that? Or do you think that the market is not that efficient? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, all right. There's a, uh, interesting chart 
from Carta. Highest number of shutdowns in the third quarter of 2023 for startups. This does not look like it's done. That makes sense. We talked to Samir last week about the state of the venture capital industry and talked about how it is interesting, though, how like vibes and not like I don't want to say speculation, but interest rates don't matter as much to venture capital because they're not borrowing a ton of money. Right. So it's, it's more investor appetite for risk than it is anything. Right. Like the private equity should be more impacted, which is, which is tied, which is tied to the cost of capital. But you're right. Yes. But venture doesn't have that. But it also makes sense that people's appetite for risk changes when rates change. But I, yeah, this is, I guess this is not surprising considering the number of companies that were funded in okay. the past couple All of right, years. All right, uh, let's do a segment on some of the earnings reports that we got this week. All right, here's a plug for quarter. They, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, the desktop page has gotten so, so good. It, like, it kind of looks like an iPhone app. The funny thing is, is when, when we first saw quarter and they gave us a demo, must have been, I don't know, two years ago, two and a half years ago. They didn't even have a desktop app. No. Right? It was just no, an app. No. Was, and they, they, all the things that they've added, it, it is pretty. Well, when they started, there was no transcript. There was, no, there was, there was nothing, right? It was just the, it was right. just the call. So that now, so they have, they have live calls now, but also they have live transcripts. So, you know, it transcribes AI. I don't know how they do it. Uh, and they're looking to, they're looking to expand into the United States. They're looking for a salesperson. So they're crushing it in, in the Nordics, um, with, with analysts and sell side shops. And so if you want, if you're, if you're that person in the United States and you're like, I have a network and you want to reach out to them, just go to quarter.com and hit get in touch. Okay. Netflix. I don't think I I spoke about this. I did buy back Netflix. Wait, I didn't didn't realize you ever sold it. I did sell it. Yeah. I sold it. I bought it back early in October. I thought there was going to be support at like the 200-day moving average. I just wanted to buy it. Uh, there wasn't. It broke pretty aggressively. Uh, but I have a Netflix ticket. I'm saving for my recommendations. Okay. But then they had a, they had a great earnings call. Uh, we now expect f- uh, free cash flow of $6.5 billion for 23, up from our prior forecast of at least $5 billion. They repurchased $2.5 billion worth of shares in Q3. They increased their buyback to $10 billion. That's interesting that no one ever talks about like Netflix becoming a company that's buying back shares. Yeah. Adoption of our ad plans continue to grow with ads plan membership up almost 70% quarter over quarter. So the password sharing crackdown is working. 30% of signups in our ads countries are on average to our ads plans. Um, They added, I think 11, what did it grow? 11%. Yeah. They grew their subscribers 11%. Alex Morris shows, has this great chart showing the number of subscribers, which, which did flatline. Right, like a totally flatline. Hence, we have to do something. Okay, time to time time to turn the lever on or pull the lever on the sharing crackdown. You know what's kind of nuts? Just like what Netflix is able to do with with its content distribution. I never watched Suits. I know it was a popular show at the time, but they bought it from I don't know who owns Suits. USA. It, it's like USA Network. So who owns that? Is that Paramount? Probably. Uh, and now they're buying shows from 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 HBO. But now, but Suits is like was the number one show in the world. Yeah. A show that's probably been off the air for 10 years. They're tastemakers. For sure. So you can, which is the United States and, and Canada, added 1.75 million net paid subs, its highest sequential gain in 18 quarters. Over the past six months, you can added 2.9 million paid Wait, subs. Wait, you can? United States and Canada. Oh. 
so they added 2.9 million paid subs over the last six months, which is compares with 4.4 million over the previous three years. So the the crackdown on passwords worked. Oh yeah, it's working. And advertising their partnership with Microsoft seems That's to be going well. That's the thing. Once you, I, I know people jump in and jump out of these things. For me, once I sign up for a streaming services service, I'm basically in it for life. Yeah, it's gonna be hard to get me out of there. So it is interesting when you compare them versus like, I mean, Paramount still looks like horrendous. It's basically at a 52 week low. Uh, Disney popped on some of the news to divest its India operations, but Disney's not looking exactly exactly great. Uh, still on that as well. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. I mean, there's there's got to be, there's got to be cons- consolidation in 2024. There has to be. Well, it doesn't have to be, but given debt loads, there should be. There there should be. It's just will the egos allow it to happen? All right. So I listened to Tesla's call. Does Musk do these calls or not? Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah yeah. But it's interesting. Like their operating margins are going down so bad. It was 18 percent in in 2022, and it looks like it's gone down for. Wasn't well, that because they've cut prices so quickly? They've they've really cut prices at Tesla. So so they asked the CFO like about it, and it was he gave sort of a garbage answer. But there, it just if you listen to the conference call, the actual results were not great. But if you listen to it, it there was not really downbeat at all. It's not like the questions from the analysts were exactly pressing. And I think that's probably mostly the case, unless the company is just like a whatever company that nobody really cares about. Like nobody wants to step to Elon. Like nobody really held his feet to the fire at all. Yeah, but don't you think that's the way it is with most analysts? Do they yeah. really hold the, f- the- and especially well, especially with Elon, they're not going to. And I was just thinking about the volatility of Tesla stock. So it was down, it fell seventeen percent in three sessions, and look how many times it's done that over the last five years. That's like nothing. Like yeah. It is just a wildly volatile stock. So here's a couple of quotes that I pulled from Elon. Also in the quarter app, you could highlight, you could highlight right in the app and then like go, like it keeps like a notes section for you. It's just incredible. Uh, yeah, we will continue Kindle. to, in, we will continue to invest significantly in AI development as this is really the massive game changer. And I mean, success in this regard in the long term. I think has a potential to make Tesla the most valuable company in the world by far. So he said stuff like that before, but I didn't know that he was good, that AI was going to make Tesla the most, the most, uh, valuable company in the world. He didn't mention something about interest rates and how it was impacting the consumer. He said, um, talking about the Cybertruck, I think this is potentially our best product ever. And I think it is our best product ever. It is going to require immense work to reach volume production and be cash flow positive at a price that people can afford. Often people do not understand what is truly hard. That's why I say prototypes are easy. Production is hard. I got to give him credit. He is good on these calls. Uh, people think it's the idea or you make a prototype, you design a car, and as soon as you design a car, it's not just anyone can do it. It requires taste, it requires effort to design a prototype, but the difficulty of going from prototype to volume production is like 10,000% harder to get to um, than to make the prototype in the first place. And then it's even harder to reach positive cash flow. That's why there have not been new car startups that have been successful for over 100 years apart from Tesla. So I just want to temper expectations on Cybertruck. It's a great product, but financially it will take, I don't know, a year to 18 months before it is a significant positive cash flow contributor. Guess what? There's no way it's just based on the way that he's saying this, it's not gonna be a year to 18 months. I would definitely take the definitely take the over on that. So here's my here's the Cybertruck cycle. The tech bros will buy it for sure. All the Elon stands. Oh, yeah. But then uh-huh. some people will because it's it's a weird looking car. Whether I think you like heinous. it or not. I think it's heinous. I think it's heinous. Yeah, I think it is too. But I think some people people are going to buy it ironically at first and then unironically. That's how things work now. You like something ironically to show like, ah, I'm kind of hip. 
and then you just it just somehow at some point it gets murky and you just like it unironically. That's what's going to happen with Cybertruck. Uh, I was looking at Ally. An Ally is a great look through to the consumer. Um, they've got a huge, re- a huge, um, they're the gigantic digital bank, but they've got a huge auto department. So auto delinquencies uh, are going up, as we mentioned earlier in the show about the subprime number. So one point zero three percent are, I think it says sixty five days in delinquency. But if you look at the year over year change in thirty day delinquency, it's well off the highs. So if that peaked in Q four. It was 1.4% in Q4. Now it's down to 0.93%. This is where it makes sense for higher rates to have an impact is the auto market, right? Way more than the housing market that the higher rates can impact autos really quickly. So last week we mentioned uh, the Apple Buffett thing about like when you rather $10,000 or never have an Apple product again. And somebody emailed us. He's like, actually, I was the one that, that got that thing going. And it was on CNBC. They said, uh, here's, what, here's what the actual quote was. If someone offered you $10,000 to never buy an iPhone or Apple product ever again, you wouldn't take it. If someone offered you $10,000 to never buy a Ford again, you'd take it and go buy a Chevy. That's a good take. Uh, do you remember Cameo? Yeah, it's a thing where you pay someone to like say happy birthday to your friends or whatever. So there was an article about, uh, about Cameo in the New York Times. The CEO, Mr. Galanis, he met with Masayoshi's son on Zoom in February 2021. Uh, and Masayoshi offered him $400 million in cash, <laughs> four times the company's fundraising goal, and told him <laughs> to spend $100 million of it uh, at the Tokyo Olympics. He didn't take the $400 million. But so I assume that company's crashed? It had to, right? So it's nearly 400 employees have shrunk to, have shrunk to 33. Um, Magic Johnson, who was paid for his role, left. Cameo's board after not fulfilling his obligations. Still, Mr. Galanis argued that Cameo was thriving and absolutely still on track to become the next Disney. Sure. Revenue has not grown year over year since January to June. I mean, it's the kind of thing that maybe you'd like do it once as a joke, like, "Hey, this person from a '90s sitcom, here's their cameo yeah, video." Gig. Like, yeah. who? It's a yeah, it's not a, the a business that's you use over and over again. Ben, I tried to send somebody who I don't follow or who doesn't follow me, who doesn't follow me. Yeah, I tried to send somebody who doesn't follow me a DM last night. Uh, can't do it. Can't do it. It said, get verified to message this user. Only verified users can send direct message requests to people that don't follow them. Oh, okay. I, I paid the eight bucks. I, 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 was, I thought like I was going to get fewer ads, but no. And I thought, and also I appreciate, this is going to sound like a humble brag. I get 10 messages a week in DMs from people saying, hey, there's a bot of you. I reported it to Twitter. And I, I say like, thanks, I appreciate it, but... I, there's like 10 Ben Carlson bots. I can't even imagine someone who's actually famous, how many they get. I get fake accounts for me all the time. And what do you I, get? I don't think they care about it. What do you get for paying? I mean, I think you probably get boosted. Like I, I've, I've seen a lot of people saying like, I have no, no engagement anymore, like whatsoever. I honestly, I have not. If there's a difference I in paying versus not paying, I haven't noticed it. Yeah. So whatever. I'm doing my part, I guess. All right. Uh, somebody... So we spoke about the survey last week about airplanes. I've, here's an email that came in. I find airplane seats to be very uncomfortable when in their fall upright position and far more comfortable when reclined even just a little. Uh, I'm a golden rule type of guy. So the way I would like to be treated is to not have people get mad at me when I recline. And as, as a result, I don't begrudge a person in front of me for reclining. That's an interesting spin. I never thought about it that way. Right? Because my golden rule is like, well, I wouldn't want it done to me. So I, that's why I don't do the person behind me. This person's like, well, I wouldn't mind if the person did it to me so long as I could do the person behind me. I get it. 
I get it. All right. Another survey. Zillow survey finds 35% of prospective buyers would buy a haunted house if it costs less. less. Of course you would, because haunted houses are not real. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I, I'm all in on haunted house movies. I'll welcome back to that in the recommendations. Okay. But the people who say, like, there's a spirit living in my attic, and it's like, I, I heard something. Um, yeah, if you're, if you're going to discount that house for me, sure, I'll take it. After seeing this haunted house, I, I, will, I will never live in a haunted house. Ever. In, my, in my parents' neighborhood, there was like a murder down the street and like trying to sell that house and went fine. Like that's a, like if someone was really murdered in a house and like there's a murder crew to come clean up, I think that should be a discount. Yeah. Not a tough. haunted house. Wall Street Journal, too expensive to have fun. They looked at nearly 60% of Americans say they cut back on spending and live entertainment because of rising costs. The average cost of a ticket went from eh, a little less than $100 pre-pandemic to $120 now after dropping to 60 in the pandemic, of course. 37% of respondents say they can't keep up with the rising price of events they want to attend. 20% say they're willing to go on, take on debt to continue to be able to afford their favorite entertainment activities. See, Ben, this chart looks exactly like real net worth, but it's not real net worth. It's what shit costs, and therein lies the difference. True. But I, I think it makes sense, though, that costs for live, ex- live events should be going up. I actually think this makes a lot of sense because that's everything is so online and screens these days that people are willing to pay up for an experience, and I think it makes sense, and these prices should be higher. How's that? Um, okay. Well, how about this? We went to Billy Joel on Friday night, which, by the way, made me feel quite old because when he played River of Dreams, I was like, oh, his new song, because I remember when that song came out. I think that song came out in, like, 1994. Let's Billy see. Joel, is like, he's, w- like, he's like the king of Long Island. He is. Like, I feel like if you live in Long Island, like, you have to go see Billy Joel, like, six times a year. So, so there's so many songs that, that are just, it's just like the Pledge of Allegiance for Long Island. So, anyway, yeah, his new song came out in 1993, and it did make me feel old. But, anyway, at the concert, Robin got a uh, Casamigos, silver, just regular, with club soda. She got a double. $47. <laughs> and that, that was my reaction. I just started laughing. Like, okay, that's just what we're doing now? Like, yeah. This is this is where it is. It's $47 for two ounces of tequila. It is true. Live entertainment, movie theaters, and airports, like all sense of pricing decorum goes out the window. All right, let's let's blow through some of these random stuff. Somebody said this is a great Winnie the Pooh thing. Equity bucket on top, equity sleeve. That's a good one. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on a the big bottom. Winnie the Pooh fan, yep. Uh, ben, you have a new dog. No, I don't yet. You didn't get a new dog. We're trying. Uh, we had oh, a little, that's A little right. bit of a mishap, but yes, we're, okay. we're working on it. Let me ask you this. I know we're not doctors. How do dogs sleep under blankets? Not every day, but a lot of mornings, my dog will come put her nose under the blanket and I lift it up and she, she'll no, like just my, plop her entire body. How do they breathe under the blanket? I can't, our dog used to be under the blanket too. I don't know. That's a good question. Dogs have good lungs. There's still some air under there. Not much. Okay. We, uh, I set up a call with us for, um, somebody to come on and, and explain to us some of the bond math that's going on. And he said, we'd be happy to do it as long as I don't end up getting shamed on next week's animal spirits for violating your scheduling procedures. See, you've, you've laid it out there. Everyone, everyone's walking on eggshells around you. For don't emailing. mess with me. Listen, I'm sorry. Don't say that you can meet in 50 days. Just, just say no or blow me off. Yeah. People are going to be scared to email you now. Do you have heat on in your house? Yes. In the last couple of weeks. Okay, where do you draw the line? Because 
the other day it was like, I know people, people are like pretty insistent about holding out. Like I can't do it yet. I can't do it yet. When, when my house gets to 65, that's it. That's my line in the sand. That's pretty cold. No, I, my wife is a total wimp with temperature. So she, she jacks it up right away. Okay. Same. Oh, there you go. I, when I, my first apartment by myself, uh, I would keep it at like 61. I like, I didn't care. When I was like young and broke, I, 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 and not have to pay utilities. But, but, I would but your so nose, low. your nose gets cold. Doesn't your nose get cold? Your fingers start to stop working. Yeah. I grew up in a household where my dad was awful with the thermostat and like, I got used to it. I feel like, and, okay. uh, yes. So Ben, the Taylor Swift, uh, movie, did you see it? You did, right? I saw it. We've, my daughter's gone to see it twice. She went once with us, once with friends. My son couldn't make it cause he was at a birthday party. He made my wife take him to go see it cause he was jealous. So we've, we've gone multiple times in my family now. Well, you're not they alone. They've done, it's done $130 million so far at the box office globally. Oh no, domestic. That's domestic. Wow. So this weekend it did, uh, this weekend it out, it outpaced Killers of the Flower Moon, which I might see tonight, but oh my God, it's three and a half hours. That's really long. See, I would rather just them break that up into a mini series and put it on Netflix or Apple. Make it like a four part mini series. Honestly, I'm having a hard time getting through the book. I'm not going to lie. Oh, I love the book. It's it's kind of a slog for me. I I it's okay. interesting, but it's 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 not as I thought it was going to be like a page turner. It's not. Nah. Okay. I it's don't a, remember. It's a little. Copy, it's yeah. a, It's pretty slow. So this is interesting. Forty six percent of opening night moviegoers for Killers of Flower Moon were under thirty five. What do you make of that? Uh, old people don't go to the movies anymore. Was that is that true? I don't know. Isn't it mostly young people go to the movies as it is? Isn't that, isn't I don't that know. the case? Uh, Matthew Ball tweeted with seventy one days left. Uh, the 2023 domestic box office has already passed 2022. Are we back? That's a, I don't know. From a low level, I guess. Not bad. All right. Recommendations. I'm going to start. Uh, Netflix actually had a pretty decent comedy. Old Dads with Bill Burr. I think he wrote it. And it's there. There. Are, this is a thing where like you're a 45 year old dad has a kid. Like that's a that's the thing that happens a lot lately. You see like a dad that's a much older having kids. That didn't happen when we were younger. I feel like. And it's just about that experience. But there's a great scene at the beginning of like having to uh, discipline your children in front of parents and I, other parents, like your awkward. friends. It's so yeah. awkward because yeah. if you go too hard, everyone's like, right. whoa, take it easy, psycho. But if you right. go too easy, everyone's like, geez, you went pretty easy on that kid. Just let him off. Yeah. Like, you're, you're win- so there's no way to win disciplining your difficult. children in front of friends or other parents. Uh, but it, if you like Bill Burr's comedy, it feels like it kind of the movie feels like his stand up in a way. So if you like Bill Burr, you like the movie. It, I was surprised. It, I, like there was multiple parts that I laughed out loud. Um, I rewatched the Forks episode of The Bear. I know you didn't care for The Bear, the episode where Richie works in a high class restaurant to learn how things work in like a really upscale restaurant, and it has a Taylor Swift. I forgot there's a Taylor Swift song like lead into the show that like paid off with the Taylor Swift song. I think it's one of the best TV episodes of the past year or so. And I put wait the you one, re, you re, you rewatched a specific episode? Yes, I don't know why. I just I put stuff on in the background when I'm writing your stuff at night. And uh, it's just an amazing, I think it's one of the best episodes of TV in a while. I think the other ones were, what's the zombie show on HBO? The zo- oh, um, ooh. The Last of Us. The Last of Us. Yeah, that episode where uh, Ron Swanson was in the bunker one, that was good. You could probably put a few succession ones in there, but Forks for, as far as I'm going, The Bear, one of the best episodes of TV I've seen in the past year. Hmm. That's all I got. All right, I heard from a lot of people about VHS. Uh, I've watched a bunch of them. They are, they are 
they are scary. They really there's a, are. There's a lot of horror psychos out there. You got a lot of people who are defending your horror takes, saying Michael's been on a roll lately with horror takes. Well, I've got more. Somebody emailed Somebody emailed us, hey, check out Deadstream. I can't believe you haven't run out yet. You literally watch like three horror movies a week. Somebody said, check out Deadstream. And I said, I replied without even looking. I'm, I'm in. Uh, it's the opposite of live stream, but it's the same type of thing as, as Chad gets the axe. Uh, I'm not done with it yet, but it's really scary. Quite scary. What else did I watch? Um, oh, I, I took... Uh, I took Logan to uh, Paw Patrol on Saturday. It was raining. So we, so him and a few of his friends went to see Paw Patrol. Now, I'm I, Logan already saw it. Uh, I'm not watching Paw Patrol. So you know what I did? I downloaded a movie into my iPad. You sent me a picture of it. You were watching a movie on your iPad? Brought my like noise-canceling headphones. The movie was called, and this is not a joke. And actually, now here's the thing. When I'm talking about these movies, so I watch a lot of movies that are just like garbage, like just horrendous, not like not even, not even bad, good, just bad, atrocious, like wouldn't even, wouldn't even dare have somebody think it's a recommendation. All these movies that I'm talking about right now, while they are obviously selective, right? Like if you're, if you're not into horror, which is most of the audience, you don't, you don't care about this. But if you are into horror, I'm only mentioning these movies because I think they're- You don't have to clarify for me. I'm just saying. So- uh, that's a lot of throat clearing for what I'm about to say. Okay. So here's a movie that I watched at Paw Patrol. And it was a very interesting juxtaposition of a bunch of four-year-old boys watching Paw Patrol. And you know what I was watching? Hell House LLC. <laughs> now, Hell House LLC, much like Haunt and much like uh, Deadstream, is about, it was, it was th- so this was inspired by like Blair Witch. It's like found footage, like what really happened. And it was very effective. And and frightening is all get out. And guess what? I had to take my headphones off at some points because that's how scared I was. <laughs> I was watching it with the volume off. I couldn't take it. It was too much. Okay. I can't believe you bring an iPad. They don't like look at you weird when you bring an iPad into the theater. It was like a kid at the box office. It was like a one o'clock show. Now listen, Hell House LLC, 75% from the critics, 72 from the audience. I'm surprised they went with the LLC instead of like a solo entrepreneurship. No, you can't put a you can't put a haunted house in a C corp. Everybody knows that. Okay, all right. Say our email address again so people don't forget it because I already forgot it. Oh wait, one one last thing. One last thing. I listened to the uh, the uh, sorry, married an axe murderer rewatchables. I did too, and I rewatched it. Again. I love that movie as a child. It was on, it's on HBO right now. I watched I watched it again after I listened to the rewatchable. The first twenty minutes of that movie. The when he plays the Scottish dad are just oh. the heed stuff. It just it yeah. kills me every time. Yeah, heed. Kids definitely don't know about Mike Myers. Yes, Mike Myers. He yes, he had it going. He kind of fell off the map, but that I I that's a great '90s movie too. It's not Wayne's World, but <laughs> all right. Out of spirits at thecompoundnews.com. Thank you for sticking with us. If you made it this far, I know we went long. Thank you to Duncan and the whole production team. We will see you next time.